Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. No more! Hawks win! Hawks win again! Chris Chelios in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tanks! A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day! Falling back, circle of drives, get the drive, The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Tames, you got to break away! Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Cincin Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome in, Blackhawk fans, to another losing post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name, I think, is James Naveau from NBC5 <laughs> Chicago. You forgot? Sorry, my brain is melted after watching five games of this direct, so I'm starting to question everything. Uh, Jay Zawoski's with me. He's from Odyssey. He's from the I'm Fat Podcast and the uh, Beliefs People's Sexiest Man Alive in 2004. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, No, I was... The fa- the fattest I ever was in 2004. <laughs> so definitely not. I did not, not pick that year on purpose, I assure you. Not that you can't be fat and sexy. I mean, we have evidence <laughs> of that all around us, but that was too fat. Too fat for, in that era. That was like sadness and college food, and it was just a mess. So yeah, that he was hosted a- the Too Fat podcast back in 2004. <laughs> yeah, before podcasts were even a thing. Exactly right. Well, thanks for joining us on this. Uh, we'll do a elongated post game. We'll do. We're gonna sing some. We're gonna have some pa- Patrick Kane fond memories to talk to you. But of course, we're gonna talk about the Blackhawks. 4-1 loss at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on our socials at MadhousePod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram. We're on Facebook, of course. And there is a sale happening right damn now at our Tee Public Shop. If you listen to this by Saturday, uh, the sale will still be going on. So go there for $13 Classic Tees. Everything else is up to 35% off. That includes hoodies and uh, masks and mugs and tumblers and all sorts of cool stuff. So go search our designs. A bunch of people jumped on that sale today and we appreciate it. So another, <laughs> it 
it's kind of an instant replay of the Islanders game where you look at the game, you look at the numbers, you say, okay, they probably should have had better luck than they did, but they lost because they can't convert. They've got three goals at even strength this entire season. James, five games, they have three even strength goals. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not enough. They are truly Beavis and buttheading this entire season. It's been <laughs> remarkable. They never scored for our listeners under 40. Yeah. So they know what we're talking about. Uh, high danger chances in this game. The Hawks had 14. The Canucks had three. The Blackhawks lost four to one. They just cannot put the puck in the back of the net. And what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to have one of those games where they just go crazy offensively, where every bounce is going their way, things are hitting people, pinballing into the back of the net. They're going to need one of those lucky puck luck games because, honestly, like we can go and, and flip tables over and scream and yell about this. Again, they played well enough to win, but they just can't convert, and it's a huge problem. And you saw Alex DeBrinkett had two golden shots that were blocked, the one by Tyler Myers in the first and then I'm uh, failing to remember who blocked the one in the third wide open one timers, you know, pass on the tape. And it's just been that kind of situation the last two games where when they get those great chances, they're just bouncing wide. There was another puck that like floated and almost floated into the net, but landed on top. They just cannot get a break. And at the same time, they're breaking down defensively at the worst possible times. And it's just been a recipe for disaster. And here we are. Oh, four and one to start the season a season their, full of expectations their worst start in 23 years wow that's or sorry 24 years actually that is where we are at right now the worst start to a season for the Blackhawks in almost a quarter of a century oh, that is where we're at right now don't and say it, that don't say it, a quarter <laughs> century I can't it's I'm too late. sorry man it's the <laughs> that's reality brother I know that is reality it's too late at uh, night to think in terms that sweeping about how bad this start is and remember by the way the one point they did get was an overtime forcing against New Jersey that they scored an empty net goal to force overtime so even that one was perilous and by the way, if you missed it, and I don't uh, know if you weren't on Twitter today, um, I was watching The Point. That's the name of the hockey show on ESPN, right? With Emily Kaplan. That is correct. Uh, here's her quote about the Jeremy Cowlton situation. Emily Kaplan, if you don't know, make sure you're following her. One of the best hockey insiders uh, in the world. She's with ESPN. Here's a quote. I've talked to a lot of people around the Blackhawks organization. They feel like they haven't deviated from the rebuild plan. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, the sense I get, the people I talk to, there aren't even closed meetings at this point about Jeremy Cowton losing his job. She continued, they're not panicking here. Now, if it gets to 20 games and they're still seeing the same results, maybe we'll see a change. But it's not a situation if they lose two of the next three that Jeremy Cowton would be on his way out. So... Emily Kaplan, who's as plugged in as anyone, as James. I'm sorry, Hitchens. that was me hitting my head against the <laughs> yes. microphone. As you hit your head on the microphone, uh, Emily Kaplan, as plugged in as any hockey insider in the world, uh, feels that there is no movement at all for Jeremy Counton to lose his job. They're not even talking about it behind closed doors. Um, and we sort of talked about this, right? Like we could do the Jeremy Counton fire Jeremy Counton show every day until it happens. 
it doesn't feel like it's close. So we've got to talk about what we have right now. And what we have right now is an offense that can't score. All right. Just kind of trying to zone in right now and not think about big picture stuff and just kind of trying to think about the immediacy of all of this before the third period of tonight's game. I mentioned that this was going to be a real gut check for the Blackhawks. This was going to be a moment that would kind of reveal where they are mentally. And coming away from that period, yeah, you're going to go look at natural stat trick. You're going to see that the Blackhawks had a considerable advantage in Corsi. With six minutes to go in the third period of the game, that was tied 10-10. to They had split the shot attempts with Vancouver at that point in the third period. They trailed by two goals the entire third period. It was absurd. There wasn't any drive. There wasn't any pickup and go from the team. They weren't getting much energy going at all. Yeah, they kind of turned it on too little too late at the end. But that, to me, the way that they came out of the third period, just kind of the same lethargy that kind of ruled the day for them in the first two periods of the game, I I was not – impressed by what I saw at the start of the third period I feel like they're I'm not saying they're not trying hard I feel like they're really frustrated right now yeah it's obviously bleeding into their play quite a bit I mean you go up and down the box score and you see things that you're just kind of alarmed by you're alarmed by the fact that Brandon Hagel played almost 16 minutes tonight had zero shots on goal had zero hits in this game In almost 16 minutes of play, he put up zeros in those categories. Tyler Johnson was on the power play at six on four for some God knows why reason at the end of the game. Instead of Kirby Doc, he had one shot on goal in 14 minutes tonight. And six six minutes of that, by the way, on the power play for a Tyler Johnson. If you had told me at the beginning of the season that that guy was going to be a primary player on the power play, I would have called you nuts. That is not a guy that I want out there and, you know, first shift power play. And that's exactly where he is every single night. It seems like Dylan Strome finally gets his shot at the lineup, finally gets his shot to tell Jeremy Collison to shove it. One shot on goal in the game tonight. And an offensive zone penalty. Up and down the lineup. Guys that the Blackhawks need to be stepping up. Guys that they need to be able to rely upon simply aren't doing it. And I'm not going to sit here and throw Brandon Hagel under the bus after all the high energy stuff that he's put in efforts that he's put into this team since last year. It just tells me there's something really fundamentally wrong with the Blackhawks right now. And I don't know if a coach firing is necessarily necessary to kind of shake things up, but man, there are just too many. I can't believe I'm going to say this because I'm going to sound like I'm trying to hop onto a trend. There are too many red flags that are going on right now with the Blackhawks and it's just it's so frustrating to watch and the easy answer that everybody seems to want is to fire Jeremy Colleton the fact of the matter is these guys just need to play more effectively like you mentioned they get ample scoring opportunities ample high danger chances and they're not putting them away and some of that's luck but some of that is also you just gotta want it man and they for long stretches of the game tonight did not seem to want it. Well, that there, you threw a lot at me there. So I want to, I want to kind of go one by one on these things. And you talked about uh, looking at the box score and you talked about observing the effort. You look at Patrick Kane's game, an assist 22, 46 of ice time, six shots on goal, four more shot attempts. Good, good night for Patrick Kane, right? 
this is why I warn people against the metrics. Go watch the first Vancouver goal where there was a battle in the corner. Matthew Highmore got it. Patrick Kane went in there and sort of like waved his stick in the area, hoping maybe that the breeze would knock the puck free and then turned away to the offensive zone as Vancouver was winning the puck and centering it for the goal. You need commitment from these guys. And I know Patrick Kane gave uh, Jeremy Cowton a vote of confidence, maybe because Jeremy Cowton is not going to be the guy to yell at Patrick Kane, right? And look, maybe Patrick Kane's done enough in his career to have earned the right to not be yelled at by a coach, and that's fine. But when we talk about Jeremy Cowton's system, if it's going to work, you need a defensive commitment from your forwards. Go watch the first Vancouver goal and watch Patrick Kane. These are the things that don't show up on stat sheets and they don't show up on fancy little graphs on Twitter and those sort of things, right? You need a commitment. And I'm looking at some of the veterans on this team and there's been several moments from number 88 this season where he has been just not engaged unless he's in the offensive zone. And look, when you had a team that was stacked and that was winning and that could roll four lines, you could live with that, right? Like go focus on offense. We'll do the dirty work. Patrick Kane needs to get involved here. He needs to come out and, 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 and assist his teammates because when he's in the defensive zone, they might as well be shorthanded. That's how it yeah. feels right now. And I know it's ridiculous to pile on Patrick Kane right now because he is probably the least of their problems, but it, go, it, it matters. These things matter. The buy-in of the veterans matters. All these things are important, and Patrick Kane needs to be engaged. Look, I'm not saying you got to go lay somebody out in a corner. You want to be, you know, Brandon Hagel 2.0, but give it an effort. Go if nothing else, go pin a guy against the board or or try to get your stick in there. Don't just stand at the blue line hoping a pass comes your way. That's not how you win in the NHL. It's just not, especially when your team's up against it. You've been losing. You've been losing badly. Expectations have been have gone from high to low in a, in a couple games. They're in a crisis mode right now, and they need their leaders, those players that wear that letter on their sweater, the C and the A and the A, those guys need to contribute. Two of the three are trying their hardest. One of them is not, and it's frustrating. And I know he's, you know, he's Teflon. You can't talk about Patrick Kane, but go watch that goal, and that is a microcosm of a lot of his effort in a defensive zone this year. Okay, you mentioned the start of the third period and how they came out less than energetic i think what you're seeing here is a team that is feeling it they are feeling the stress they are feeling the frustration there was a moment in the third there where kara got the puck along the boards and my brain almost like misfired because i've been watching hockey for 35 years and every time i've seen a player in that position they've gotten the puck out in front quickly Kara didn't know what to do. He got tied up along the boards. You're seeing guys squeezing their sticks so tightly, trying to make something happen. They're making extra passes, and it's costing them scoring chances. I'm telling you, it's going to take some sort of breakout game where everything goes their way to shake this off because you can see it in every player on the team that they are feeling this pressure. And again, that takes me to coaching. You need a guy who can rally them and say, look, it's going to be okay. Here's why it's going to be okay. Here's out why we're going to fix this. And when I look at that Hawks bench, I don't see confidence in the eyes of anyone. Oh, and one more thing. You mentioned Kirby Doc. 
You yeah. are absolutely right. Tyler Johnson gets 607 of power play time. Kirby Doc gets 147. I know Kirby Doc is on the second power play unit. Fine. But guess what? He has been the best player the Hawks have had this year. Him or Debrinkit. I was going to say him and Debrinkit are neck and neck. Jonathan Taves, meanwhile, yes, he wins faceoffs. Granted, I understand that. And that's important. Fine. Keep it on the first unit. You've got to get Kirby Doc out there. You have mm-hmm. to. You have to find a way. Jonathan Taves still looking for his first point. By the way, first point of the season, man. I and I, I, I hate to say that I a thousand percent agree with you that Taves should be knocked off of power play unit one, but here's the fact: if you're going to have Tyler Johnson camped out in front of the net, who is smaller than both Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves, Taves shouldn't be out on the first power play unit. Case closed. Like, if that's the way you're going to structure it, there's only one place Taves needs to be on a power play, and that's in front of the goalie. And if he's not there, he shouldn't be out there, period. Yeah, it's – I just don't – I felt like as I was watching this game, I kept asking myself, where's Doc? Like, why why is he not on the ice more? It it just felt like – and he played 1831, and he was out there a lot more towards the end of the game, it felt like. But – how do you put Tyler? What has Tyler Johnson shown you that warrants him six oh seven of ice time on the power play? I I have no idea, and he he's not a guy that's necessarily jumped out at me as having a terrible start to the season. I just don't think that he needs to be playing those kind of minutes in that specific role. I definitely feel like there is a role for him on this team. Very obviously, I mean, sure. he is a good hockey player. He's a good center. He should not be playing six minutes of power play time on this team right now, especially with the way Kirby Doc has been playing lately. I feel like he needs to be out there more. I feel like I need to see more potentially a Brandon Hagel on the power play. Didn't have a single minute of power play time tonight. Get this. Dominic Kubelik had less than three minutes of power play time tonight. Please explain that to me yeah your best Why, shot that guy probably. is not out on the ice during a power play that is absurd and dylan Strom, who is supposed to be kind of like the offensive spark plug that's the entire reason he was put into the lineup tonight had a minute on the power play tonight played a bunch of other roles and played 13 minutes in the game barely sniffed the power play i just make it make sense jay i can't figure out that deployment whatsoever look the power play has been okay this year, right? Like, I'm not going to pretend like the power play hasn't worked. It has worked. They've I'm just saying, it. I'm pointing out, like, in this instance, the deployment is all screwed up. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that that's obviously the end-all, be-all. It just speaks to the bigger picture of kind of what's dysfunctional right now with the team. Are you, as the coach and as the coaching staff, aware of what's happening on the ice? Are you aware of who is succeeding and who is not? And who is helping and who is not? Development, and, Jay. And I... Oh, well, yeah, that brings us back to the Emily Kaplan thing where the Hawks are still in their minds rebuilding. Really (laughs) interesting. I mean, I I must not know what that word means. Look, I I said the other day, you can sell me on a rebuild if you trade for 26 year old Seth Jones, right? Because you say, okay, him and Doc and Debrinkit are going to lead the next generation with Seth Jones as the defensive head of that thing. Fine. Marc-Andre Fleury is a one-year thing. Great. Tyler Johnson, that was a guy you brought in because uh, you had to trade the Seabrook contract, right? So you can kind of find all those reasons with those guys. But Kara, that's not a rebuild move. Eric Gustafson, 
when you're banged up is not a rebuild move. A rebuild move is saying, all right, Ian Mitchell's going to sink or swim out there. That's what's going to happen. Jake McCabe's also not a rebuild move. No, Jake McCabe is 28, and you sign him to a four-year deal. So you're already – sorry, I dropped my pen. You already are hearing the – well, you know, you're hearing the leaks. Like, well, you know, we're still kind of rebuilding. So if things don't work out, you can't really blame Jeremy because we're still kind of rebuilding, right? Is that is that going to be the excuse that the Hawks are in the middle of a rebuild? Because guess what, folks? They're not. They're not. You're still playing some young guys, yes, because you have some good young players in Doc and in Debrinkit, et cetera. But nothing you did this offseason indicates a move towards sustaining the rebuild. I'm sorry. No. You don't trade two first-round picks when you're rebuilding, right? And again, I'm glad they got Seth Jones. But don't don't tell me you're don't tell me you're still rebuilding. That's BS. You're I, right. I, I think to me that is the biggest damnation, damning indictment, whatever you want to call it, of this notion that they're still rebuilding is that they gave up the two first round picks to get Seth Jones. I feel like that completely so completely flies in the face of that argument that it basically nullifies it and as soon as I read that Emily Kaplan had said that and that was the way the Blackhawks were going to potentially try to frame this I seriously my brain just kind of shut down I think that that to me is such a disingenuous argument that it defies belief and yeah because what were the comments before the opening game yeah. Right. It wasn't like, oh, no, no, no. Pump the brakes. We're, we're still rebuilding. No, no, no. No, it was, no, We no. want to compete. This is a different team. You yep. know, we're ready to go for it. Mm-hmm. No, uh-huh. now suddenly you're oh three and one now oh four and one. But you want to make sure people understand, like, well, don't forget, we're still rebuilding. B.S. If you're still rebuilding, Philip Kurashev is not on the bench tonight. Have have the spine to frickin stick with it. Be like, look, it's five games in. The bounces are not going our way. Whatever you need to say and those to things are true. that you're still buying into this, do it. Don't couch it with this nonsense. Right. And those things you said are true. If if you're watching the game, if you watch the last two games, you could argue the Hawks deserve to win both of them and just didn't, right? Th- that's true. But don't don't start leaking out the rebuild crap to the, the media now. The key is the hedging. That pisses me off that's, a lot. It's ridiculous. And sure, you can go ahead and and like I just sort of did, like okay, well, you know, when you really look at it, blah blah blah. No, Kara and Car and Carpenter in when Kurashev's on the bench, and no, he's not been great the start of the season. But guess what? Join the club, right? Like, there's a lot of guys who haven't been good the start of the season. I don't think that Kurashev, if you're rebuilding, would be the one to get punished. Well, here's the thing: you're not rebuilding. We're not stupid. Don't lie to us. Right. Hawks fans aren't dumb. Well, some of them aren't dumb because speaking of Seth Jones, I'm. Ge- oh, my God, dude, I, I'm not. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not doing this for the next nine years. I'm not. Seth you Jones start blocking people that make the argument that you're about to. I think up? you know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pin my tweet. They gave up too much to get Seth Jones. They paid him probably a million dollars more than I would have liked. However, Seth Jones is the number one defenseman, and now I have to add a bullet point, apparently, that Seth Jones is better than Adam Boquist. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I was the biggest Adam Boquist fan in this city, and I will tell you, you are drunk and high if you think Adam Boquist is better than Seth Jones. If, If you think that, reset your hockey brain. 
Because all you're doing is looking at fancy graphs. That's all you're doing with no context, with no uh, eye for the game, with no scouting eye at all. A hundred of a hundred decision makers in the NHL would take Seth Jones over Adam Boquist. They would take the next five years of Seth Jones over the next five years of Adam Boquist. Go as far as you want. By the way, has zero points in four games with the Blue Jackets this season. And again, I really like Adam Boquist. I really do. Go back and listen to the podcasts as we were talking about leading up to the Seth Jones trade that we all knew was coming. I said, I don't want to trade Doc. I don't want to trade DeBrinkett. I don't want to trade Boquist. Anyone else can go. And when they traded Boquist, I was like, all right. I, you know, you got to trade something. You didn't trade that much. <laughs> but you, you can't base your analysis of a player on whether or not you liked the trade. Right? If you watch this game, you saw Seth Jones dictating a ton of the play. He was controlling the puck. He logged huge minutes. He was incredibly effective. I'm going over his numbers now. I'm trying to pull up natural stat trick. His high danger chances were seven, four, and one against with him on the ice. I mean, I don't know what more you want from the guy. Yeah. Is he perfect? No, he's not Nick Lidstrom. He's not. I'm sorry. He's not Nick Lidstrom. But yeah, he's overpaid. Great. But you got to pay to get a number one defenseman when you haven't been able to develop one since Nicholas Jalmerson. Yeah. Honestly, um, Mark Lazarus actually brought up a really good point about uh, Seth Jones tonight, and I think that it kind of speaks to why Blackhawk fans are frustrated with him. It's because his bad plays have been pretty bad so far. Obviously, he's had good plays and solid plays. The bad plays need to be better. I feel like that that's kind of like the old analogy in golf that you're only as good as your as how bad your shots are. Like, if you had a bad shot, if it's not that bad, it means you're a solid golfer. It's kind of the same thing being a number one defenseman. You can make mistakes as long as they're not crippling, horrible mistakes, which Jones has made from time to time. I feel like I don't, if his when? mistakes when get were a little the, bit... When, when were these crippling mistakes he made? He's made a couple of very bad turnovers. They maybe haven't resulted in goals, but they've certainly short-circuited rushes up the ice, etc., they, it, it's not been like the primary reason. I'm just saying he's had some moments where it's been rough and he's had a couple of rougher games and he said he just needs to be better in those instances. And I agree with him. And I think on balance, he's been good. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I'm watching a different thing. I, 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 you know, I watch him carefully when he's every like every time he's on the ice, I am focused on him and what I see him doing it's 95% good and 5%. Okay. Maybe that wasn't great, but he's out there for 25 minutes a game. There's going to be moments that don't go well. He played 27 minutes tonight, 27. He also has trouble uh, keeping his skates sometimes when he pinches in, which I find very kind of comical when he does that. I don't know that. I, I think that shot attempt he had in the third where he sort of skated himself into the slot. Uh, he did go down on that, but got a good shot on goal. I don't know. I, I just feel like, I don't know, the narrative, the, the fact that people hate Stan Bowman so much and the people, you know, the fact that they gave up so much to get Jones is skewing the actual analysis of the player. And it's, it's, I saw it forever. I saw it with Alexei Zhamnov because he was traded for Jeremy Roenick. Like it wasn't his fault. That was the trade. 
right? <laughs> like it just it, you can go on. It, it's not Connor Murphy's fault that he was traded for Nicholas Jalmerson, but how long did it take for people to embrace Connor Connor Murphy here and realize long, and realize they had a real solid player on their hands in Connor Murphy, right? Like you you've gotta you've gotta judge objectively. I don't know. I just, I, I can't get through this whole, like if it's going to be Seth Jones sucks for the next nine years, I don't know. I'm out. I'm doing a bulls podcast. <laughs> I'm, it's just uh, like Pat, Patrick Kane, by the way, after the game said, we know we have a good team. We're as upbeat as you can be being Oh, four and one. So super back check contribute. Honestly, James, I'm telling you, I'll pause it. I'll pause it. Go watch that goal. Go watch the first goal. Go watch the Dickinson goal with the Matthew Highmore assist. Patrick Kane is controller unplugged. Honestly, that it's he is. It's like eh, eh. like that's the sound. He, eh. Just waves at the he waves his stick at the area of the play. Like eh. honestly, <laughs> and then he just like turns his back to the play and heads at a blue line. Uh, I'm not here hey, to. Do I'm we sorry. want to talk about Patrick Kane's 1,000th game? Yeah. Patrick Kane, mm -hmm. your favorite moment of his with the Blackhawks, you cannot say the cup-winning goal in 2010. The heartbreaker goal against L.A. where he there, Because there's that Iserman-esque behind-the-net uh, camera angle of that goal where it's the one-timer, Kane snipes it over the shoulder, and then he hits his knees and rips the heart out and punches it. That to me is a quintessential Patrick Kane play, mm. but there's, I mean, there's so many, yeah. You know, the hat trick against Vancouver is a huge moment. Uh, but for me, it, that heartbreaker goal is so, if you're taking away the 2010 winner, obviously mm -hmm. that one uh, against LA where he just, Oh my God, that they showed it. They showed that angle of the shot in the montage. And I got goosebumps watching it again. It was one of the just, and it was a quintessential play because, if I recall correctly, it was Kane and Taves on that two-on-one yes, rush, was. right? Yep. I mean, how can you have a better distillation of that era of Blackhawks hockey than that moment with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves beating Jonathan Quick? I wonder if the Kings still brag about his contract, by the way. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a gratuitous pot shot. I, I'm in a mood. Yeah, we're Blackhawks are doing things. I'm sorry, <laughs> L.A. I'm sorry. Um, unfortunately for me, I wish I could uh, contest that, but I do have to agree with you. I do have to give honorable mention, however, to the fact that Doc Emmerich yelled Patrick Kane's name after Marion Hosa scored the game winning goal in 2010 against the Predators in the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's in our open, which I love every, every time I hear it. Cause I always think of that. Um, I, so, like you said, all the spinorama goals that dude has had over the years, the heartbreaker goal against the Kings definitely is my favorite, but man, you, you can't go wrong with a Patrick Kane highlight montage. And it was just a really good reminder of how fortunate we are to literally have not only watched probably the best era in Blackhawks history, but quite possibly one of the two or three best players in Blackhawk history. And I think that when his story is written, when all things are said and done, I, I think Kane is right up there with Bobby Hull as that number two. I don't know if he'll ever, you know, top Stan Makita just in terms of the mythology and all the stories and all the records that Makita set with the Blackhawks. 
But Kane deserves to be in that conversation for sure. Oh, Pat Foley brought up a good point too. And and statistically, it's unlikely that he's going to catch either of those guys, right? But when you look at the accomplishments of Patrick Kane and the big moments, again, the cup winner, the heartbreaker, the hat tricks, the the tr- the huge stage, the three championships, the consmite, like all of it, all of it might make him the best Hawk ever. If we're not measuring these things in points, and look, I never saw Stan McKeaton and Bobby Hull play. So I know there's a certain percentage of our, you know, of our audience that's shouting at their, that's shouting at their uh, podcast machine, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Um, And I, and I, I will concede that I never saw, uh, I never saw either of those guys play in person. I've seen the highlights. I know they were great, but I just look at the way the goalies were back then where they basically had like some lumber tied to their leg. And then maybe they would think about <laughs> hitting the ground at some point, but usually it's kind of flailed and hope it hit them. How many goals do you think Patrick Kane would have scored in that era? Oh God. I mean, so Makita has 1,467 points. Bobby Hull, 1,153. Kane is right on the heels of Savard. Uh, he's got Savard has 1096. Kane has 1092. So he'll obviously pass Savard this year. I think he's got a chance of, pa- of passing Bobby Hull. I do too. And I, th- well, he definitely has a chance of passing Bobby. Yeah, he will pass obviously. Bobby Hull. Um, but it's just you know the argument of best Hawk ever. It's really tough to not say Stan Mikita. Yeah, but if you're gonna go by what were his moments, what were his direct contributions uh, against a, you know, I I don't know against tougher athletes and better goalies and better equipment and better all those things um i don't know i think at the very least he's got an argument for best hawk of all time Mm -hmm. which is substantial because the two guys that are ahead of him in the argument are absolute hockey icons right and obviously kane's going to be a hall of famer kane's going to have his number retired by the blackhawks likely going to have a statue outside the uc with jonathan taves i mean all of those tributes are going to happen i just think it's wild that he's still playing and still despite you know obviously we did on the first goal tonight still playing at a very high level and remember He's only turning 31 years old this season. Or 33, sorry. I'm I'm good at math, I it just, promise. It just feels like he's been around forever. And looking 15th season I in know. the NHL. And looking at those, you know, the the montage before the game, if you missed it, I'm sure the Hawks have it posted everywhere. Um to see him as a rookie and how young he looked in the pimply face and like the wild hair and just that was a child. That was a child. And, you know, you can't really have a Patrick Kane conversation without talking about the stuff that went on off the ice early in his career. And whatever happened scared him straight, I guess. I I don't know. I I hate to I don't even want to get into it. But like whatever it is over the last few years, he is he is straightened out. Uh, He's a father now. Um, That was really cute to see him out there with his son. Um, but I, I will always have in the back of my head a little bit of hesitation with him yeah. just because I, it's hard for me to forget that stuff. And I know, you know, separate art from artists. And I'm, I'm trying to do that for sure, because look, I, I think you can argue he's the best Hawk ever and his moments have been unmatched, but 
for me, I, Jay, it, we're talking about a team that still has uh, sexual assault allegations that are being investigated and being sued over. So yeah. if we know anything about separating the art from the artist, we're definitely having to uh, do those mental gymnastics right now, this very moment. So I'm sure our listeners will not be surprised that we have to do that with Patrick Kane to a degree as well. well. I mean, it, you can't you can't not bring it up, right? Yeah, it was ugly, it's and, part and it was legacy, and man. It, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the one thing. There were several incidents. There was Madison. There was a cab driver. You know, for a for a time there, every girl of a certain age had a story, right, about his behavior when he was out, one way or another. Um, so I, it's it's hard for me to divorce that, but it seems like he's grown up, and I worry what I would have been like if I was twenty years old and a millionaire. Right. Like I <laughs> with with unlimited fame in the city, uh, you know, drinking out of your hands. Is that the right cliche? I don't know. Uh, but you know what I mean? Right. Like everyone praising you. You're rich. You're young. You're good looking. You know, it, it's I, I I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to excuse it, but it's just I'm glad that for for however it happened, that he has grown up and he has become seemingly a much better citizen and better person. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just let, let's now that we've acknowledged that let's let's get back to the hockey part of things with him because um, aside from those occasional lapses like we discussed earlier, um, he has brought a lifetime of incredible memories to this Hawks fan and to every Hawks fan listening to this podcast and and him and his partner in crime Jonathan Taves single handedly or double handedly I guess you would say resurrected a dead franchise. And when I say dead, I think there's a certain portion of our audience that doesn't understand what it was just like. how dead it was. Yeah. I mean, do you know what 5,000 fans looks like in the United center? You might think you do, but you could shout across the arena to your friend. You could shout to the beer man at one end of the ice to bring beer to your end of the ice. And they would hear <laughs> you and acknowledge. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I know. We used to do it. We used to shout to our favorite beer man and he would shout back and 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 then the crowd would laugh because it was all audible. They could hear every word you said because you could hear a pin drop in that place. So Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and of course their supporting cast. But those two, I think, get the credit for really bringing the franchise back from the dead because their arrival marked the ascent. Sure did. Um. <clears throat> and obviously it's always fun to take those strolls down memory lane and we're going to do it again later this uh oh I shouldn't say later this month early next month when we do the Marion House uh Legacy Night Andrew Shaw uh Brent Seabrook Nick Jalmerson also going to have Legacy Nights Pat Foley's going to have one it's going to be really fun to take those trips down memory lane but <laughs> Boy, those bright spots feel like they're going to be few and far between right about now with how this team's been playing lately. But, hey, they're I'll be in the UC on Sunday. Maybe I can uh, get some good juju going for the Blackhawks, or maybe I'll doom Jeremy Collins into being fired. I'm not uh, not quite sure how that's going to work out just yet. The only thing I'm clinging to is that the last two games, they played solid games against good teams. And Vancouver's off to a slow start, too. I know that. Uh, and the Islanders were too, but the Islanders were a team that were in the conference final last year, right? And gave Tampa a fight. And they're not, that's not like they're an untrendy pick to make the Stanley Cup final this year. No. They are definitely in that conversation. Vancouver's a good, solid team. 
uh, and they played well against them the last two the last two games, and they ended up losing it by a combined eight to two. <laughs> it's just, but I just I have to cling, right? Like we have to cling to some sort of hope that, like, okay, this is an anomaly, right? Again, you look at those stat sheets that so many people are so in love with. And if I was to show you those without showing you the score, you'd say, okay, the Hawks bounced back and got a win tonight. But mm-hmm. they lost four to one. And that's the reality. And that's, you know, it. if, if all I'm clinging to is at least they're not getting clobbered, at least the games are competitive despite what the final score looks like. That's all, that's all we've got right now, man. I just, I just don't know how they're going to pull out of this without a significant amount of luck. They're just going to need well, one mean, of those games. It's, it's, it's taken them a significant amount of luck, honestly, to lose the last two games. Yeah. Not saying that's the only reason they've lost the last two games, but you've alluded to it on many occasions. They've had a crap ton of high danger chances that didn't result in goals. And obviously that's kudos to the goaltending for both the Isles and the Canucks. Thatcher Demko was awesome tonight. Had a really good game. I mean, you get a couple bounces going your way. Maybe you get some results changing. But I just, I think overall, just the picture about the Blackhawks cannot possibly look rosy. It it does look kind of bleak, and it should look kind of bleak. And they gotta, they gotta get themselves out of it because I don't think there's some like kind of outside of the organization type help that's going to be coming. These guys are going to have to figure it out on their own. Case closed. Yeah. What 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 trade are you going to make right now? Yeah. Right? Like there's just, you're going to trade Dylan Strom and get what back some picks. You're not going to bring back a player that's going to help you for Dylan Strom. That would shock me. That would absolutely shock me. And I think Dylan Strom, like I mentioned earlier, might be the sweetener for some team to take Andrew Shaw's contract off your hands. I really feel like that's why it's taking so long because maybe a team is waiting for enough days to go by for the numbers to go down to make it affordable. I don't know. By the way, note here from Mark Potash. Uh, he writes, uh, for the, oh, he's written forever. Where is he now? I don't even know. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Hawks have trailed for 74.8% of the season. Today was their season low amount of time trailed only 3155. That's 53.2% for the Colorado game. They trailed for 92.7% of the game. Jersey 69. Nice point one. Pittsburgh, 99.6% of the game they trailed because they got scored on 15 seconds in. The Islanders, 59.8. And tonight against Vancouver, 53.2. They have trailed for basically 75% of their season. And how much have they led for? I don't think they've led at all. They haven't. Yeah, they've not not had a single second of a single game. Fun. No, it's bad. Well, James, if you keep pounding your head on a microphone, you're going to need an injury attorney to sue yourself. <laughs> uh, so I recommend our friend Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. Kent opened his own firm over 20 years ago after over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney. He specializes in all forms of personal injury cases, including lacerations from microphone headbutts. Accidents involving cars, trucks, motorcycles, boats, all sorts of vehicles, construction accidents, nursing home abuse. Being injured by flying glass when you throw your remote at the TV. Yep, that too. You get hurt and it's not your fault. Ken's got your back. His firm's results 
speak for themselves with millions recovered for their clients. The Simpson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. So call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107 or visit SimpsonLawGroup.com. Don't go off sides, go top shelf, call now. James, before we wrap this up, you asked me before the last podcast, what would be the things you would change heading into the next game? I'm going to ask you the same question about uh, the game upcoming here against the Red Wings. Um, I do think that there needs to be, I alluded to this earlier, there does need to be some changes on the power play. I'm not saying that that's obviously the biggest issue facing the Blackhawks right now, but I think that you need to recognize the fact that Kirby Doc is one of your best offensive players, and I think he needs to have a bigger role in that group. And I also think that Dominic Kubelik needs to have a bigger role, and I think that both Tyler Johnson and Jonathan Taves need to kind of be pulled back a little bit in that regard. Um, I also would like, honestly would like to see Kara. I need to see less ice time. I think for him, he's getting quite a few minutes and he's not playing poorly. It just, he cannot be one of your top six forwards that just cannot. And that's the way that he was used in that game. And I don't think that that's what the Blackhawks need to be doing. I want to see Philip Kurashev back in the lineup. I want to see guys who have the potential to generate offense, getting those top six minutes. And that's it. Just let your best players potentially be your best players. That's what the Blackhawks need to do. They need to work on their power play deployments. And just for the love of God, can we get a break or two? Like that's that's kind of what it boils down to for me. Your best players need to be better and you need to start getting some breaks. All right, so I'm with you. Um, I want Kurashev back in the lineup. So you're taking Kara out? That's your move? Um, I don't think I would take Kara out necessarily. I think that I would leave him in, but just have him play kind of a less prominent role, I guess you would say. So we're looking at probably the conversation. I'm guessing is... either Carpenter or Mackenzie Entwistle probably comes out. Entwistle didn't do anything tonight, played less than nine minutes. I don't think that that's indicative that he's very seriously in their plans right now. So probably pull him out of the mix for a game. Yeah, I could deal with that. I can deal with that for sure. Let Strom play uh, some more center. Bingo. By the way, that's, the that's Hawks what I want. took uh, 58 face-offs in this game. Only one player had double-digit face-offs taken. That was Jonathan Taves, who took 22. That's okay. very odd. Borgstrom, oh, Borgstrom had 10. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Borgstrom had 10, so he's the other one. Uh, he won 40%, so four, uh, four wins, six losses. Uh, See, we're good at math. Kara took three. Strom took three. Uh, Carpenter took nine. Doc took seven. Tyler Johnson took, I'm sorry, Kane took one and Tyler Johnson took three. I didn't, I would never have anticipated Tyler Johnson only taking three draws in a game. I know he played some wing tonight, but I definitely thought they were looking at him as a third line center for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like when there's a face off, they're putting Taves out there because they know he's the only one who can win them. Because when you look at the other guys who took like a decent amount, again, Carpenter, one, two, lost seven. That's bad. Mm -hmm. Borgstrom, I already said, one, four, lost six. That's fine. Um, But uh, Kirby Doc, one, two, lost five. Like these are, they don't really have anyone they can depend on regularly to win faceoffs. What do you think of the uh, three uh, forward pairings that they were using for uh, penalty kills tonight? I, I still really do like the Doc to Brinkett pair on the penalty kill. Mm. 
it was interesting watching uh, Carpenter and Kara on the kill as well. Yeah, I you know the kill's been okay. You know the one goal they gave up was that five on three. Yeah, and before that, I think they were ten for ten killing. Them, yes, right? they had been perfect up to that point. And uh, that look, that's that's a really tough kill. I mean, and that's a long five on three. Long, yeah. Uh, so I I'm not gonna blame anybody for that. Um, it's just that it, the expectation is if you've got a five on three for that long, almost a full two minutes, that you're gonna score. Mm-hmm. And that's what Vancouver did. And, uh, and Connor Murphy had to commit the penalty that he committed to make it a five on three. Otherwise, that power play would have been over very quickly. <laughs> That's true. Yes, uh, that was a, that. If there ever has been a good penalty, that was it. That was a. I, I will ask. Maybe he blew an assignment and had to like panic to cover it. But I, I don't get that vibe. I just think he absolutely had to get that backdoor guy. That had to happen. It's really hard to tell with Jeremy Cotton's system. <laughs> what is what is supposed to be happening and what's not? Because I just we don't really have an all twenty two view of the ice <laughs> in that situation. So. No, we don't. All right, James, the Hawks are back at it against Detroit. Next up, we have a the weekend off because uh, we all have things to do. I've got my mother in law's birthday. You've got stuff going on as well. Um, so we'll be back next week. Got you two in a row here though. Post game shows. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure again. You rate, subscribe, review the podcast. If you want to send us a screenshot of your five-star Apple podcast review, do that. Every month we send a prize pack to a random person that does that. So you'll get a t-shirt, you'll get some uh, Madhouse swag, stickers, buttons, all sorts of stuff. So send us those five-star reviews, madhousepod at gmail.com, and we will enter you to win a prize pack every month. So that's fun. So do that. We appreciate it when you do. Uh, so for my partner, James Naveau, I'm oh, one more thing. We've got the T-Public sale going on until Saturday. So go to the link in our bio, the link tree. It's in all of our social media bios. It's also in the tweet about the sale yep. that I put on the Madhouse Pod account today. Use that link. That's how we get helped. But $13 classic tees up to 35% off everything else. So shop at our T-Public shop. Support the podcast. Rock some cool Madhouse podcast swag. I think you'll like it if you go check out the shop. So now we're going to wrap things up for my partner, James Navo. I'm Jay Zawoski. This has been the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sitsin Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.